0: How are you guys? God is good? And all the time? And we mean that, right? Good. So, a little bit about myself. This is my first time preaching at youth. I'm a Saturday school teacher. So, teaching and preaching, I heard, is a little different. So, if something is a little off, I'm just trying to incorporate my teaching into preaching. But, hopefully, you guys will know what I mean. Now, today, I have a topic that I haven't been thinking of too long, but over the last three days, I was asked to preach, and I was like, God, what am I supposed to preach about? I've never preached. I only know how to teach. This is completely different. So I started praying. I prayed every day during work, at home, while I'm eating, probably while I'm sleeping too, and nothing, right? So I'm working today, and like, I just get this thought, and I'm like, you know what? Why is everyone so mad today? And I'm like, okay. And so the thought dawns on me, right? And usually, like the last three days, I've been having these thoughts, and just nothing. But as I thought about this, it just grew on my heart, it grew on my heart, so that's what I'm going to be talking about. My topic today is anger. Anger and what the Bible teaches us about anger. Now, as you guys know, we're not perfect. We're all sinners. And that's a fact. The Bible says we're sinners. God says we're sinners. Everybody here gets angry. Now, the difference between anger, and I'll be talking about righteous anger and anger, okay? Everybody gets angry, that's a fact. I get angry. I even got angry today at work. Now, here's the thing. Some of us, we have anger problems. We have anger that's a habit, and that is what I'm going to be talking about today. So we know that we all have trouble with anger, and these are the three things that I want you guys to leave, or the three things that I want to leave you guys by the time I'm done. My first question that I want to answer is, is all anger, sin. My second question I want to get answered today for you guys is, can we control our temper? And third, what does Jesus offer to help overcome the habit of losing our temper? So that's the three things I want you guys to take away. So let's look at number one, the relationship between anger and sin. Um, As I'm talking, you guys could open up to Romans chapter one, verse 18. As will I. So let's talk about what righteous anger is. Righteous anger is anger against sin. Sometimes people look at Christians, they see him mad, they see him upset, they see him shaking their head, and they think, Wow, this guy is a Christian and he's upset, he's angry. He's like failing his like Christian duties. But that's not right. As we go into the Bible, we're going to see some righteous anger. And even God himself has righteous anger. Jesus Christ was angry, but he did not sin. So that's what we're going to look into. Let's start off with Romans chapter 1, verse 18. First thing I want to mention is God is always angry with sin. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And after that, I'll jump to chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. Um, I do have the NLT version, so it might sound a little different. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. So we're going to be talking about God's anger of sin and then God's judgment of sin. So Romans 1, 18. But God chose his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we know that God is angry at sin. Jumping over to chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, we read, "...but because you are stubborn or refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up a terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seek after the glory and honor and immorality that God offers." But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and comedy for everyone he keeps on doing what is evil. Um, so as I stated before, we know that this is a fact. We are all sinners, but God hates sin. So the only way The only way for God not to be angry for us, well, that's why Jesus Christ came. For for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. So that right there shows that God is angry with sin. And we all know what sin is. Sin is an offense towards God. Sin is to be guilty against God. Um, Another person I want to, or a person that I want to focus on that had righteous anger was Moses. Now, as we all know, if you guys could turn to Exodus chapter 32. Verses 19 and 24 is what I'll be focusing on. Um, in Numbers, it says that Moses was the meekest of them all, meekest in the Lamb. The definition of meek is quiet, submissive, gentle. So for a person who was the meekest of all to get really angry, it really had to take something. You guys could stay there. I won't read it. I'll just summarize the verse or what what we would have been reading. So basically, there's the golden calf. God tells Moses to go on the mountain so he can take care of the new covenant that he was going to make with them, with the people of Israel. He was going to write it on stone. The people of Israel, they saw how long Moses was in the mountain. So they come to Aaron and they said, make us a God that we can worship. So Aaron says, okay, grab all the women and children, give me their gold, give me their piercings, and I'll make you an idol. I'll make you a golden calf. So God is talking to Moses, and he says, Moses, what's going on? My people have rebelled against me, and I want to destroy them. And so Moses intercedes for the people of Israel, and he's like, no, God, don't do it. But it says that God was angry. Um, If you actually, I'm sorry, Go down to verse seven, chapter thirty-two. It will say, I'll read it from seven to nine. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down to the mountain. Your people whom you brought them the, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly have they turned away? They melted down gold and made a calf, which they bowed down to and sacrificed to it. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. As we read further, Moses comes down from the mountain. He's angry. The covenant that God wrote himself on that stone, he breaks down. And then eventually he calls the holy men, the Levites, and he says, come here. And then he says, as punishment, go kill your friends, your neighbors, your family members, whatever, for the sin that they have caused. And so they do so, and it says in the Bible that they killed over 3,000. So Moses had righteous anger right there. Remember, righteous anger is anger against sin. It's okay to have righteous anger. Um, It is not okay to have anger. And one more person that I want to focus on that had righteous anger was Jesus Christ. Um, Before this, I never looked at Jesus Christ as someone who has anger. Because, you know, we read in the Bible, he's always humble, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful. But Jesus Christ himself had righteous anger. Couple examples that I wanted to bring up. Um, something that I overlooked completely is um, in the, on the Sabbath when Jesus came to the temple and the Pharisees were there, and he healed a man that had a messed up wrist. Um, he became angry at the Pharisees because of the because the Pharisees were heartless and they cared for absolutely nothing. And it says in the Bible that his heart was hardened. Another time Jesus had righteous anger is when he overturned the, ta- the tables in the temple and he said, you have, made, you have turned God's house of prayer into the den of robbers. Again, it is always okay to have righteous anger. Now, let's look at the dangers of anger. This is the part that we struggle with. I struggle with that as well. Not as much as I used to, thank God. But a couple years ago, here's a story. Before I start with the story, remember, Sin always has consequences. Anger especially has consequences because when you do something out of anger, you do things you'll regret, you say things you'll regret, and you do it to hurt somebody. So a couple years back, I have one of these really good buddies. He's in the military right now. But um, this is really dumb. Don't laugh, you guys, okay? But I got really angry. So I was doing my thing. And so um, my wife, who cuts hair, Does a really fantastic job, as you guys can obviously tell. Um, So he came over to her for a haircut, you know, and I, I, it was, there was a miscommunication because she cuts hair, so it's whatever, right? And got super angry, super quick. Now what happened is he was living at my house that summer because he moved down from Oregon. So, you know, we were all cool and stuff. And so out of anger, I called him, and I'm really, really ashamed of it. I called him, and I was like, get out of my house leave my house, you're never welcome, right? The moral of the story is when you do things in anger, you screw things up, you do things you regret. Eventually, we came back together and we're cool now, but the guilt of shame that I have from that is probably going to be in my mind for the rest of my life. Now, the problem with anger. um, In James, it says, the wrath of man, and I'm just uh, not reading, I'm just paraphrasing, the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. Um, and it says, uh, be slow to anger. It doesn't, s- anger. It doesn't say be, don't be angry, but it says be slow to become angry. Um, so let's look at some things that anger causes. Anger causes us to blow up, as you could probably tell from my story. I've also noticed this. People who are angry and they don't let it out, They they contain it inside inside themselves. And a lot of the times, they become like bubbles. You keep your anger. It builds up. The the pressure builds up. It builds up. It builds up. And then you blow. And then you know what? It's even worse than before. So moral of the story, don't be angry. Um, I was reading an article, uh, and it was about anger, and it was about letting out your anger. And so a psychologist was like, you need to let your anger out you need to relieve yourself. You need to get it out of the system. You need to release the tensions. And he recommended that for men, women, and children alike. Now, we know that obviously one that's not godly. So basically, they were encouraging them to vent. Now, if we go to Proverbs uh, chapter 29, 29, if you guys could go with me there, Chap- Proverbs chapter 29, we'll look at verses 11 and 20. 29, we'll look at 11 and 20. 11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And 20, there is more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. So next time you guys want to get angry at someone, and you guys want to say something you're going to regret, think about it. The Bible itself literally just said, there is more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. Don't be the individual who does not think when they're talking. Um, as I finish up with self-control our words and our thoughts and the things that we do our deeds, our actions they can obviously be controlled it says so in the Bible Um, we need to control our thoughts and emotions or else it will lead us to sinful actions now, we know the really popular verse where it says, you know, Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun set down on your anger, right? Um, so, in other words, we can't harbor our anger as well. So if we are angry at someone or we have anger at someone, don't wait to go to sleep and apologize tomorrow. Do it right now. One, you'll feel a lot better. Two, your conscience will be clean. Um, Next, I want to talk about uh, controlling your anger. As we know, Jesus was sometimes very angry. He kicked men out. He threw tables down. He was angered when people, when people hardened their hearts against him. He was even angry when the children came to him to be blessed, and the apostles wouldn't let them in. He said, uh, what are you doing? And he sa- says, um, paraphrases and says, and he was angry at the apostles because they didn't let him in the children, to be blessed. He says, you need to be like the children to enter the kingdom. Now, even though Jesus was angry, and anger obviously brings temptations, Jesus fought back with those temptations with scriptures, which is also why, if you guys were here last Tuesday, uh, I believe my sister Kathy and Andy, they mentioned something about knowing scriptures, that way you can fight back if there's anything that's going on in your life. So, brothers and sisters, anger is a choice, and anger can be overcome. God commands us to have self-control, and the self-control includes holding in our temper and not being angry. I want to tell you guys a story, and then I'll finish up. Um, actually, I'll tell you guys a story, and then I'll say something, and then I'll finish up. So here's the story. This is about having self-control. Two sides, right? So we have this mother. Just imagine her mother. She has three beautiful children. The floor is dirty. The kids are walking in, dragging mud across the floor. Her favorite meal that she was making, it burns. Uh, She's yelling at them. The walls are broken. Someone's drawing with crayons. And you know what? All of a sudden, she gets a call. But before she gets the call, she's absolutely screaming at the children because they're obviously Ruining her life, you know. She's not having the time of her life right now. The phone rings. You know who it is? It's her husband's boss. And you know what? She goes from yawn to, hey, how you doing? So same thing here. Another example. Think of a man who's working on his car. He's clicking with some bolts or whatever we do. And he busts his knuckle. Now for the majority of people, even so-called Christians, They'll mutter out swear words because they're angry. It just comes out, right? Whatever's inside comes out. So he's yelling. He's swearing. He has blood on his knuckles. He's obviously upset. He's angry. The Anger is not justified. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and the pastor is coming in, right? Just imagine that. And now he's like, hey, man, how you doing? So the guy goes from, you know, beep, beep, beep to, hey, how you doing, brother? That's not righteous anger. Don't do that. Now, if we can control our anger for people, we can control our anger for God. Is that not right? I like the nods. Thank you. And my last thing that I want to finish off, really this is my last thing. Biblical principles to help control anger. First off, we need to study our scriptures. Like I said, Jesus himself was tempted by Satan, but yet he overcame because he fought back with scriptures. So it's very important to know the word. Otherwise, can you really consider yourself a Christian if you don't know the word, if you don't read the living word of God? Number two is apologize to the people that you have hurt. If you are one of those people who does not have righteous anger, and I repeat, righteous anger is anger against sin, then you most likely than not, have hurt somebody's feelings, you have put somebody down, you have said something you did not mean, and you've probably re- re- you've repented to yourself and to God, but you need to come up to that person and you need to apologize. And you know what? I've done it many times and it feels a lot better when you apologize to someone. You just, the, con- the, the weight goes off your heart, you know? Thirdly, after that, you need to repent and pray to God. God will forgive us if we run to him. God loves us, and that's also a fact. In fact, God loved us so much, He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. Now, if Jesus Christ has forgiven us for the sins that we have committed every single day, then it should be easy to forgive another person as well. Um, Two more things. Avoid hot-tempered people. We all know the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Or show me your friends and I'll know who you are. If you're with hot-tempered people and you have anger issues, then most likely than not, you're going to have a hard time working on it, okay? They're going to cause you to fall even more. People who practice sin lead you away. And you know what? As strong as we are, if we fall in the wrong company and we stay with the wrong company, most likely than not, we're going to fall into their ways. In conclusion, three things that I wanted you guys to remember. Is all anger sin? No. Number two, can we control our temper? temper we can god has not given us anything that we cannot overcome and if we don't believe that then we're calling god a liar because god is always faithful to those who love him three does jesus offer help to overcome the habit of losing our temper he does he provides the scriptures try reading the book of proverbs you guys are going to be wise believe me um another advice that we can use so that is what i wanted to share with you guys that was what was on my heart again thank you for letting me speak i'm honored Um, and i guess we could all stand up and bow our heads and pray father god we're thankful for this evening i'm thankful for the opportunity to share your word my god i'm thankful that i was able to share what was on my heart lord to share the word to share the truth lord And we know that your word is always going to be 100% accurate, my God, because it is the living word of God. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And, Lord, you see all the sin that we have in our life. You see all the temptations that we have, God, and we fail, my God. And you see that anger is a, a big thing on everybody, God. Everybody has anger, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when our anger isn't righteous, my God. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came down on earth, who forgave us, my God. We're thankful for that, Lord. We didn't deserve it, but your grace and your mercy, and you provided it, my God, and we're thankful. Lord, if we struggle with anger, my God, help us be smart. Help us be wise, my God. Help us seek to you, and we ask that you transform us inside out to a mold that you want us to be, my God. Lord, I'm thankful for this evening, and I ask that you bless the rest of the service, my God. Bless the rest of the preachers and everyone else who's sharing. In your mighty name we pray, amen.
1: All right, so it's good to be in the house of the lord <laughs> i 'm super happy to be here today and um, happy to be at youth that 's for sure been a a month since i've been here so i'm super grateful. Um, most of you know that we went to Ukraine with our missionary team, and um, I actually went earlier to go see my family and to see some of ukraine and um it was a blessing. (laughs) I uh, just want to share a quick snippet of what happened during the two weeks of our missionary trip. Um, God truly did bless us. He blessed every camp. But um, it was the day before missionary trip. I started feeling some pain in my ear and I was like, oh no, this is not good. So, I went to go buy some eardrops and I bought some eardrops. I took them and they didn't help me. So, I bought some more eardrops, some different ones the next day. Didn't help me as well. Next, we went to something a little heavier, some vodka, you know, try to heat up the ear. That didn't work either. I don't know. People were doing a whole bunch of stuff. We were trying everything. I never tried heating up my ear um, with like a sock and salt. Did that. That Nothing helped. Um, So it was Wednesday. I think our team was going to um, Brovery for a service in the evening. And I was like, Ilya, uh, my ear hurts. It hurts pretty bad. And I have like swelling around my ear. Um, I was like, this is not normal. And so he's like, Andre uh, Vidominka. Uh, She needs to go see the doctor. Andre's like, Bogdan, she needs to go see the doctor. So Bogdan takes me to the doctor. Everyone stays at church. I go to the doctor. It's like a shady place, shady room. I'm like, this is not the doctor. We have such blessed (laughs) hospitals and like clinics and everything in America. So we walk in, Um, doctor's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, my ear hurts. He like checks it out and he's like, okay, you have really bad swelling. And I was like, okay, well, I just want to let you know I'm allergic to ibuprofen. So he was like, oh, no, no, this is not, not anything close to ibuprofen. I was like, okay. So we get to church. Um, Andre's like, or Bogdan was like, you should take it now. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait it out because I have to sing. And um, he's like, okay. So we go to church. I'm like sitting in church. I'm like, Olga, I'm just bothering her the whole service. I'm like, I'm in so much pain. Like, I can't listen to this. Andre gets up to preach and I'm like, Lord, please let him finish. I just can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm just in so much pain. So I step out. Um, so he keeps preaching. I wait a little bit more and then it's almost the end of the service. It's almost nine o'clock and I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to sing. So I go to on, and- uh, Bogdan. I'm like, let's go to the car. I'm going to take the medication. So I go to the car. I take an antibiotic and a painkiller. I don't remember what it's called. And he goes inside because he's like, I'm going to go finish the service. And I was like, okay. I sit there, like four or five minutes goes by, and I'm like, okay, this is not normal. My whole face starts itching. I'm like, this is not okay. I, like, feel swelling in my face right away. So I, like, see a random kid. I'm like, go get Natasha Protts. She has Claritin. So he comes back with Marina and Tylenol, and I'm like, no. <laughs> he runs back into church. Um, Marina comes back, and she's like, they, nobody has Claritin. Nobody. So, we're like, okay. At this point, I'm so mad. I'm like, hopefully, it was righteous anger at that point. I was like, we have to go back to base. So, we end up going back to base. I run upstairs. At this point, like, my face is really swollen. I, like, I can't even explain to you guys what I looked like. I turned really red, and um, so I take the pill, I take some Claritin and I'm like I'm just going to try to go to sleep because I can't. I can't do anything at this point. I'm in so much pain. I don't even remember if my ear was hurting at that point, but my face was so swollen. I was so itchy everywhere. I lay down and I'm like in bed. I'm praying. I'm like, "Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening, but if it is my time to go, I'm ready." And I literally prayed my last prayer to God. And in that moment, I had the weirdest peace. And I was like, okay, this must be it, you know? And I'm like hearing this thumping in my head. And I'm like, who is hitting the walls? What is going on? I get up and I'm like, this is all in my head. My heart was beating so fast. I've never, ever felt it beat like that. It It was crazy. And at that point, I like turn around and I'm like, my mouth is all swollen like my tongue is swollen i'm like trying to swallow i can't swallow i'm like that's it i'm dying i'm dying i'm dying (laughs) tanya walks in the room and she looks at me she's like (gasps) i'm like okay we're going to the doctor so linda runs goes gets andre and i don't even remember what happened after that they take me down we go to the hospital they're so rude there guys you have no idea how much you guys need to thank god for the, the access we have to healthcare and how, how people treat you right away. They're so kind about it. They're like, you're dying. We need to get you ASAP. This lady's like, why are you here so late? I'm like, did you want me to have this allergic reaction three hours ago? Like, what did you want? She's like, when did your ears start hurting? And I was like, four days ago. Why didn't you come earlier? And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm like sitting there. They're like, go sit down. I was like, okay. So I sit down. And they take me to a different room after some information that they got. And they ended up taking us to a different building. Um, They got me on a bed. I got IVs. First time in my life. Man, I just never thought I would be in a hospital in Ukraine in the first place. So after that day, I felt a lot better. My ear swelling went down. My ear stopped hurting. And I was like, okay, praise God. I'm doing good. One day goes by. I already missed one day of camp. I go to camp the next day. And in the evening, we went to um, Brovery to evangelize about the camp, the third camp. And I'm walking, and I'm like, wow, my ear feels really funny again. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. It started hurting again that same evening. Uh, I I don't know how many Tylenols I've taken at that point. It's doing absolutely nothing. I'm like, everyone's sleeping at this point. I'm walking up and down the church crying I just can't sleep I'm like texting my mom I don't know what time it was there or here she's praying and the next day I don't remember if I went to the hospital or not but I took some more antibiotics those didn't do anything we went to the hospital again and then finally the doctor prescribed me some normal antibiotics and some normal painkillers and they actually helped me a lot. I think it took a couple of days for the swelling to go down because I couldn't even close my teeth. Everyone was like eating and I'm like over oh, here like this. I literally drank soup the whole time and um, I'm just so grateful to God to be alive. Honestly, I literally thought I was going to die and I don't know how many tears I shed on this trip. I literally cried in front of Ilya so many times. He was probably like, You're such a baby. I, I don't know. I was in so much pain, but you know what, guys? I know that um, in that moment, even though I thought I was going to die, I know God was faithful and he, he had a purpose for me. And I just want to encourage you guys that you're all vessels and God will use you as long as you pray every day and ask God to bless you. And um, I just want to read that. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will street, receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to, to those who love him. And um, the righteous person may have many trials, troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So I encourage you, don't give up. Just keep praying and keep seeking God. (laughs) Amen. May God bless you. May God bless you. May God bless
2: you. So I got trapped into saying a testimony, but the problem is I probably have a testimony for every day that I was in Ukraine so I narrowed it down to one for today but um, it was the second day that we were already in Ukraine and it was dinner time and I was running down the stairs and I didn't stop in time and I crashed into a wall and I hit my toe and um, it started to hurt And then, like, as the day went on, the next day, it, like, started turning, like, all the colors of the rainbow. And I'm like, this doesn't look healthy. And it's, like, hurting a lot. And it's swelling. Um, But, you know, I was like, okay, it is what it is. It just sucks that it's at the beginning of the mission trip and I'm going to have to live with it. Um, But I just remember one night because... We were in the same room as Anna, and you got one side of the room, Anna's complaining about her ear. Other side of the room, you hear me complaining with my toe, and I'm like, I'm already getting annoyed of all the complaining. So I was like, I just said a simple prayer. I was like, God, like, you see what's wrong with my toe. I'm pretty sure it's broken, but what can you do? Um, I'm just, you know, putting this into your hands. Just please take the pain away. And then the next day, like, it got better. I was able to, like, walk normally, and then, like, the next day after that, I didn't feel any pain at all. The swelling went down. Everything was fine. The next two weeks, I was just running around Ukraine with my kids. Everything was great. So I come back to America, and on Sunday, my toe started hurting again. It started swelling. And then by Monday, it was just really bad again. So I decided to go to the hospital. And my doctor's like, well, your toe's been broken for, like, the past two weeks, and I'm sitting there, and we're like looking at each other, and I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you didn't feel anything? I was like, oh. <laughs> me and my toe were having a great time with all my kids in Ukraine. I don't know what you mean. Um, but just looking back at that, I'm, I'm just so grateful. And honestly, I know that it's God because if I had felt the pain for those two weeks, I know I would be complaining to everybody, and it would have just ruined the trip, and I wouldn't have been, been able to be effective. So I just want to. Give all glory to God and, you know, praise God. <laughs> May God bless
3: you. May God bless you. May God bless you. That sounded like a really rough trip, guys. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more testimonies from you guys later on. Uh, right now we're going to have some time for Vadim to say a testimony.
4: Thank you, Peter. Uh, so... Uh, God is good, all the time. and all the time. God is good. Amen. So uh, my name is Vadim. I'm here on behalf of uh, Bible College, and what I wanted to do is I just wanted to share um, with you guys about the amazing opportunity that each of you guys have um, through um, our church um, with Bible College. And, uh, you know, I'm a former student uh, from Bible College, and before I kind of go over the logistics of Bible College, I just wanted to share um, my personal testimony and what Bible College did uh, for me in my life. And uh, to kind of begin things, you know, the biggest challenge uh, for me uh, growing up in my life, it wasn't um, unbelief, it wasn't, you know, some kind of addiction that I had. Um, it was simply, um, it was simply uh, the lack of staying consistent in my relationship with Christ, Um, I would uh, religiously go uh, to Sunday service, would never miss um, a Sunday service. I went to youth service religiously, you know, and I felt, you know, while I was there at these services, I felt the power of God. And, you know, after after service, you feel empowered, you want to, you know, read the Bible and do all this stuff, Um, but it always never seemed to happen. You know, as soon as you walk out into the real world, you just kind of fall flat on your face. And, you know, I felt... Like, that power um, left me. And I was always asking myself, why, why, why is this happening, you know? And it wasn't because, you know, God had lost power somehow. And it wasn't because God didn't care about me. Um, you know, deep inside, I knew the problem, you know, it had to do with me. But I didn't know exactly what it was. And, you know, also growing up, I heard a lot of testimonies um, about people coming to God. You know, they have an addiction and then God sets them free, and then you can literally see their life change, you know, 180 degrees, genuinely change from that moment on. And for me personally, I, I never had that, I never experienced that. And I re- actually received the Holy Spirit um, when I was 11 years old. Um, you know, and growing up, I was a pretty good kid. I never really did um, anything bad, uh, but I was always in this lukewarm, comfortable area in my life. And then the older I got, uh, you know, the stronger the Holy Spirit kept condemning me and uh, trying to pull me closer um, to him. And I felt like, you know, I wasn't on good terms with God. And, uh, you know, God kept stirring me up to uh, keep getting closer to him. And uh, I kept hearing these kind of similar announcements. I don't know if you guys know Alex Tifoglo, Um, Sunday services, he would, you know, he would announce Bible college. And, you know, I felt my spirit, my spirit was so drawn to it. But at the same time, my flesh was saying no and kept me grounded. And I felt kind of like this battle of my spirit wanting this. But at the same time, my flesh saying no. And, you know, I had this battle that went on for uh, two years. And finally, one year, you know, I I just gave in and I and I signed up because I know God was calling me um, to Bible college. And right away, God began to work on my hard heart, and he started molding me, and he started shaping me. And I started to develop, you know, not just this group relationship with God that you have, you know, from Sunday service. I started to develop a personal relationship um, with God. And, you know, I started to learn the truth um, about who God is and Um, Who I am in Christ, and you know, I started to get a lot of clarity in my life that I never had before. And you know, right now, I can truly say, you know, I know who I am in Christ, and I know what it means to be a child of God. Um, You know, and I know God most importantly, I know God on a personal level, and I feel, you know, I feel the power of God with me wherever I go, and that's something you know, no one can take away from me. And you know, and Being a Christian, it went from, you know, just attending Sunday services and youth services to being a lifestyle now. And, uh, you know, looking back, you know, all along, uh, my problem, my issue was the lack of knowledge of Christ. And it was sort of like a cycle because you don't know the truth of who God is, you don't want to seek God as much. And because you don't seek God as much, you don't know God. So it's kind of like a cyclical cycle and it wasn't until I, you know, I joined um, Bible college that I kind of broke, you know, broke the broke this cycle and, you know, this changed. Um, I, I went out of my comfort zone and I committed to attending Bible college and that transformed um, who I am. And it was this, you know, this extra time that I gave uh, to getting to know God and it was exactly what I needed for me uh, to grow spiritually and kind of looking back i can see that you know the devil he tried to take you know all the time that i had um, so that i wouldn't learn and and uh, get closer to god and have that personal um, relationship with god and you know even if if we look at the israelites as an example too um you know they were ultimately uh, as a nation broken apart. And it wasn't because they physically grew weak and weren't able to, you know, um, sustain themselves. Um, The Bible clearly tells us why they were destroyed as a nation through the prophet Hosea. And it says um, in the book of Hosea um, about the uh, Jewish nation, it says, my people are destroyed because they don't know me. And as a whole, you know, as a Slavic community, um, as a Slavic nation, if you will, you know, I feel like we can really compare to that. You know, we were brought here by our parents, um, and we have these good lives. Um, we have everything that we could need, and we're always, we always seem to be so busy, um, and we don't have that time for God, and it's destroying us. And, you know, I can tell you personally, I can admit to it that, you know, that I was because of my, because of the time that I didn't set aside for God. I was being destroyed because I didn't know the full truth and I didn't take, you know, the, the time to learn um, God. And, you know, maybe you guys are in the same situation. Um, maybe you just came to Christ and maybe you're spiritually weak. Uh, maybe you're involved in sin and that sin has a hold on you. Um, I want to say this to all of you guys tonight. Don't let your life go to waste. Come to Bible College and learn the truth. And in Bible College, we have this uh, founding verse, if you will. It's found in uh, John chapter 8, verse 32, and I really love this verse. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I truly believe, you know, that God's word has power, and God's word um, really worked in my life, and Bible College was sort of a stepping stone uh, for me in my life, and maybe it can be for you as well. And in Bible College, we're also a family. Um, we support each other. We build each other up. Um, if any of you guys follow sports, um, you know that even if the sport is individual or a team, you know, everyone, uh, they all practice with, uh, with teams, not alone, and that's because they support each other and build each other up. Because on their own, they wouldn't be as successful as they are. And Bible college is similar um, in that, you know, we you get educated in the Bible, but at the same time you have that support from staff and from other students to help build you up and to help you grow um, grow in Christ. And the only regret I have is that I didn't attend Bible college for those two years earlier, and um, the final thing I wanted to talk about is kind of the logistics of Bible college when it happens, you know, classes, things like that, but before I do that, um, I wanted to mention this, that, you know, I have a, I I went to school for four years um, at a university, and I have a degree, but inside of Bible college, that degree, I would say, is worthless. It's going to pass away. It's just a piece of paper. Um, But what I got out of Bible college, um, it truly you can carry with you, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, And that's why, you know, I would invest in Bible college. Um, So kind of on to the logistics. um, Bible college starts uh, September 9th. Um, Classes take place um, every uh, Monday and Thursday. And they're from 7 p.m. to uh, 10, 15 p.m. And uh, classes are on different topics and sometimes different books. And they last about um, two to three weeks each. Um, And each class is $45. That's just to cover, you know, we have snacks during breaks and also just to cover the expenses for teachers. And uh, important thing, so that first class that we're going to have, so it's going to last about two, three weeks, is free, so there shouldn't be any reason um, We don't see all of you guys there Monday and uh, Thursday, and also on uh, youth here on Tuesday. So everything should line up perfectly. Um, And I'll be here if anybody has any questions. I'll try to stick around after service. Um, Or if I'm not here, you can always visit um, our website and just kind of enroll there and poke around for some information. So um, may God bless you guys with this decision. And uh Dennis, thank you for um allowing us to come out here. And God bless you guys. Thank
0: you.
3: Slava Bogu. Такие свидетельства, я думаю, мы молились, чтобы Бог к нам проговорил, но уже Бог проговорил к нам. Аминь. И То, что мы слышим, это признаки духовной войны. Вы думаете, так просто, это болячки разные, аварии. То, что случается в нас жизни это spiritual warfare. Это такая битва, которую нам не видно, и хорошо, что нам не видно, потому что если бы мы увидели всех ангелов, всё, что происходит, нам бы страшно стало. Друзья, я очень благодарен всем, кто сегодня участвовал уже, я буду проповедовать о смирении. I'll be preaching about humility. I remembered one story that I just heard. На, на радио слышал, христианское радио. Я, значит, включил и слушал его. Это русское радио с Украины. И там, значит, тема поднималась, похоже, как вот Илья сегодня проповедовал, за то, как свой, как how to hold your temper. И одна женщина, значит, позвонила на радио и говорит... Я, у меня была такая проблема, но я пошла к батюшке, to the orthodox, orthodox priest, и говорит, я ему сказал, что не могу сдержать, только там что-то мне на нервы, я как заматюкаюсь, заругаюсь. Он говорит, говорит, ты думай перед тем, как ты что-то делаешь, ты думай. You think before you say something. Она говорит, ну пробовала там все. не. пришла опять к нему, Он говорит, давай я тебя покреплю святой водичкой. Знаете, как в православной церкви, это holy water and they sprinkle with that. И говорит, я покреплю тебя. Покрепил ее все. Через неделю или две она говорит, не могу. Говорит, обругала всех и свинью, и корову, и всех, кто там в дома был. Пришла опять к нему, говорит, не помогает. Ну, батюшка уже тоже достал. Он говорит, дал ей бутылочку этой воды святой говорит, как только это подступает, говорит: "Ты в рот глоток возьми и держи минимум 5 минут". И говорит: "Ты посмотришь, как рукой снимет". Говорит: "Помогло". Но проблема в том, что не у каждого есть святая водичка, понимаете? Not everyone has that magic solution. And I'm not even sure if that was a joke because I mean, that was real person calling on the radio real time. So, I don't know, but the Bible says, and I'm really glad and supportive of the Bible college ministry, and I'm just here not because I just want to say something, but because I also went to the Bible college, to this particular one, just for two classes when it just started in 2002, I believe it was, or three, something like that. But it was the first, the first uh, group, and I was here for two or three classes. It uh, doesn't matter. I mean, I was in a different college, but that's a turning point in your life. And not so much because there's some magic in the Bible college or in the organization, but because when you systematically, when you uh, dedicate your life and you continuously, you dwell in God's Word, something's going to happen. It's not a waste of time. You read the Bible. At first, it's like digging the, the, you know, the hole for the well. You don't see the water right away. And lots of Christians, they somebody said this example, I don't remember who, but they are digging for a day or two and they, they stop. And their life looks like lots of holes and no results. You understand what I'm saying? This this is really you have to stay in one spot. And what I actually mean what helps a lot if you choose one book, one book, not just one chapter, one book. And you study it. How do you study it? I can give you multiple examples. That's not a topic of today's sermon. But you have to be systematic. You have to dedicate your life. Because if you don't pay the price, the Bible says, if, you, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and get this water. But it says you pay for it. Okay? Okay. And in Revelations chapter 3, it also says, Come to me and buy from me the ointment to put on your eyes because you're blind. The gold, buy from me. Of course, we're not paying with our money, but we're paying with the most precious currency on this earth, with our time. Because when we dedicate time, we literally dedicate part of ourselves. We come there to the lord as if we were coming to the before the screen before tv before whatever and we give the most precious thing okay the people who are in prison i was not in prison but i know people i spoke to people who were in prison in the jail in prison they say this is the most precious thing you get stuff in the jail you get things it's still not that because you have your time wasted there and so when you come to the lord and you give that as a sacrifice This is how you pay. And the Lord is faithful to His Word. He will reward you. Amen? Uh, Just check it out. Just make sure that you are dedicated to God. I'm going to share a few things about humility. I believe this is an important topic because um, it's uh, that extra step that we make to... Um, please the lord and not just with our deeds but with our um, attitude god looks at the heart that's true he looks at our motives he looks at uh, what we think how we come to him and if we come and worship him with a proud heart it's worthless it's nothing it's actually disgusting in god's eyes he is hating proud people so when we come in humility we will meet the lord and James chapter 4 talks about that, you know, sinners, repent, you know, humble yourself before the Lord, cry before Him, all those passages. But I will be reading, starting with the different passages, Psalm 101. And Psalm 101 starts with this, I will sing, the very first song, uh, verse, it says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Wonderful opening, I'll do the worship. God, I'm coming to you. It's not the easy part, but it's not so hard. You can start with something. You come to church, you do worship, you can start in your car singing to the Lord, you can start at your house, in your closet, whatever, under the shower. But that's not all. He says, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? In other words, he's like, God, when are you going to come to me? This is a legitimate question. It's a very good question because very often we think that we come to the Lord. Like, I decided I'll come to the Lord. And then you come and you kneel down or start praying as if it's like a a switch. you like, just turn it on and the Lord is there. You came. Good thing, you know. Who told you that when you decided to come to the Lord, the Lord is there? Well, you'll say, Alex, God says that, come to me, everyone, and I'll accept you and everyone who is heavy laden and so on, and I will comfort you. That's true. But who told you? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, how many times you would start praying and there's nothing? And if you're honest, the God is not there. Not that he's not there. I mean, he's holding you. He's holding every breath and every cell in your, in your body. But he's not really uh, in conversation with you. And that's the whole point. You know, we start praying and we don't hear anything and we read the Bible. We don't get anything personal. And so David asks this question. "Said, when will you come to me? Often... We have this bias that we come to the Lord when we go to the church, when we come to the youth. So we were thinking that we, today, that we are coming to the Lord. And we came to the Lord and we started singing and the Lord came to us. Not being sarcastic, I'm just saying that this is not the way God, the Almighty God who created you and me, will work with you like on your conditions. And David When he asks this question, he comes to the next point or realizes something. He says, I will walk within my house. And this is interesting because it's very likely that God will come to you not when you're in the church. You will have feelings. You will have good feelings in the church. Maybe every time when you come. Most of the time when you come. That's great. But God will come to you unexpectedly. And most of the time, we do not spend here, unless you work at TCA or like myself, you know, here every day. You will encounter God in your house. In the place where it's natural for you. Maybe that's your room, maybe that morning or evening, doesn't matter. But you will be seeking the Lord. And if you prepare your heart, if you humble your heart enough, God will come to you. Sooner or later, as if as it was with Adam, when he would come to Adam at the end of the day, and he would speak with him and he would talk to him. And David says. I will walk within my house, this is the blameless way, in the integrity of my heart. And then it gets really practical. Because he says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. That's right there in your house. And you might be like, well, I don't even have a house. Maybe I don't even have my own room. I have to share it with someone. Well, the house for you is that circle or that area or that part of your life where you have influence okay where you are in charge so even if it's just your bed, okay you have to start there or your car or your maybe literally your house so the place where you think it's like oh it's just me it's just mine it belongs to me so what's the big deal about this stuff well the biggest deal about your life is actually what you do with those little things How you make your bed, how you clean your car, how you start your day, what you eat, what you listen to. And then David says, And I will not set, and I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. My eyes. What do I see? So I walk in the house, I sit at my desk, I work a lot at the desk, you know, the computer desk. What do I constantly see? What what triggers my memory? What do I hear? What is feeding me? Because before I even have to start dealing with that anger, you know, obviously those words jump out of me. Because I heard them when I listened to that song. Or when I heard this, you know, comedian, whatever. And that's very important. Because he moves on and he says, I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not... It shall not fasten its grip on me. The things that circle, that, that are around in our life, they tend to stick to us, and then they tend to choke us. They, they, they fasten their grip on us. And it's not necess- it's not necessarily uh, sins. It doesn't say I will not put sinful stuff. It says worthless. Okay, what is worthless? Give me examples of worthless stuff. Not sinful. Worthless. Maybe I don't understand this, (laughs) Greg. All right. Okay. Well, like seriously. Well, I agree. Yes, it might be. To a degree. To a degree. Okay. Anything else? Ladies. Netflix. Okay. Huh? Social media. To a point. Okay. Well, I might actually disagree with all of you on this. To a point. But yes, sometimes the worthless stuff in our life is something that takes away our attention from the Lord, okay? Because there's literally this spiritual warfare for our attention, okay? We pay attention to something. If we pay more attention to the fashion, to the stuff around us, to how people think of us, to how things what, what is worthy in this world? The Jesus said, you know, you lovers of money, that's actually abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, whatever is so valuable and precious in this world, this is an abomination. So sometimes we look at something, uh, you know, that, that is in our life and it gets our attention from the Lord. And in a different context, this YouTube is a, such a blessing. This is a learning tool. This is a, I don't know, we get praises from Ukraine. You know, that same place for the translation and broadcasting of our services and things like that. But you, you get the point. Worthless stuff in our life is something that becomes an idol. Idols always ask for sacrifice. You cannot have an idol in your life and just have it as a cute thing. Okay? You, you will always bring the sacrifice. And the most precious thing is your time, first of all. But of course you will invest your money, which is an equivalent of your time. okay? And then you will get your attention to that thing. And then idols, the Bible say, those who worship the idols will be like them because they don't speak, they don't talk, they have, they have no sense. So you get to the point where you're like, dead end i don't hear the word from the lord i don't know where to move on and what can be worse than living a meaningless purposeless life you just you just exist so sad today i've heard this story i mean this is not just today's story young guy 22 years old committed suicide not just whoever. Our Christians, and we are not speaking about this world. Depression and all kinds of stuff. Drugs. Yesterday I was talking in Costco with one of our, my uh, teenage group 15 years ago. And, and he works in this, you know, as a nurse on call. And he says, drugs, I mean, this is truly an epidemic. Why? People don't see the meaning in life. They get stuff. They get bored with stuff. And they got into this trap. Not everyone. Everyone is different and has different weak uh, areas. But that's what happens when we stop paying attention to the Word of God. We became proud. We became addicted, attached to the worthless things. And they fastened, literally fastened their grip on us. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Now, don't think about destroying any people or evil friends or whatever. Think of all this stuff as sins, okay? Not people, persons. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. At least they will not be in my favorites, okay? Or I will not put likes on their posts. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me, he who walks in the in a blameless way, is the one who will minister to me. Although, uh, well, I'll take my words back, because sins do not exist in the vacuum. Slander, um, gossip, things, they are always attached to a real person. They do not exist just on their own. So it does matter who you listen to, who you admire. Okay, recently I was walking in the church and I talked with this young guy and I'm like, what are you listening? I'm listening to the news. Well, not really. I'm listening to this funny guy who interprets the news. So we, we take, you know, the, the, what we like, we fill our heart and I'm not judging you or anyone. I'm just saying what the Word of God says. If you really want to have God come to you, not just you deciding to come to you, God come to you. You have to start with your own house. You have to start with your own belongings, with your own things, you know, and and clean them and get ready. Now, I want to focus uh, also on something practical. Uh, Before that, I'll read another passage. Hopefully, it will be encouraging. Luke chapter uh, 12. It says that the Lord, or Jesus said, uh, 1242, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Who is that person? Who is faithful before God? Who deserves the reward? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes to that somebody who's faithful. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So the principle, the concept is really simple. God says, if you want to have blessing in your life god rewarding you with more possessions with more authority because you will have to have this power and authority when you raise your kids your word has to have a meaning you have to say the word and they will obey it if you want that blessing later on in your life you have to be faithful in little things you cannot just all of a sudden get married start having kids And then all of a sudden you become serious. You become like really living a meaningful life. If you have certain habits, they will travel with you. Okay? And you have to start working on them now. You have to start living a disciplined life led by the Holy Spirit in the humbleness of the heart. And so then the promise of the Lord will work in your life. Now, humility in public. Say with me, humility in public. You know what's that definition for? That's another word for modesty. Think about this. If I start with just the word modesty, all of a sudden, eyes on sisters or on the brothers who wear shorts or whatever. I mean, who told us that modesty has to associate only with the clothes and in certain guidelines? The principal, you see, right, said, you know, you have to wear that. That's the problem. We look at the outward, and we don't look in the heart, because everything, everything should start in the heart. Like we started, you know, the Lord is looking at our motivation, at our heart. And if we want to be humble before the Lord at our in our house, at our home, <clears throat> excuse me, when we go out, There is a different degree or different way to show our humility. Humility in public, that's modesty. Think about that more. I don't find the verse from the Bible like that, but I find principles. The Bible says in Philippians chapter uh, 2, and um, actually, if you can open with me Philippians, uh, we have about five minutes, so I'll be quick with this. This is interesting. Apostle Paul basically writes this letter. He's in the jail. He's um, pretty much facing, it's 50-50, whether it's a, his destiny being decided, and it, he might be dying soon for Christ. But he writes something encouraging. If you read this um, epistle, there's uh, 14 or 15 times it says rejoice, rejoice. It's like so weird. He writes from the jails. Be joyful. Hey, guys, Rejoice. And then he gets to the point in chapter 1, he talks about his death or life. And then he says things like, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I'm not losing anything like Anna was witnessing today. If I'm dying, cool, you know, but I'm not at that stage yet. Um, anyway, Paul is saying very important thing. He says this in verse 19, in verse 20, I'm sorry. According to my earnest expectation and hope, he hopes something, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is weird because God can be glorified by... What do you think God will be glorified by more? By life or death? Life or death? <laughs> Both. Both well i would think for myself when i speak of myself i would think god i will leave more for you you know if i live long life i'll bring more glory to you but if i die now it just may be a memory of me hopefully you know or, or somebody's preaching at my funeral and somebody's repenting, or something like that but apostle paul says this he has a no seriously if i die that's for the glory of christ you know he will be glorified but what's interesting, he says, he will be exalted in what? In my, you're not reading with me, anybody who's reading the scripture. He will be exalted in my, say louder, body. Okay, it's not the spirit, it's not the fact that he's dying or living, in my body. Body is really important. Okay, body is really important. Yes, we have the soul, we have the spirit, but body is really important. How can I serve God in my body? Apostle Paul was serving him in the body. And he says in verse 22, continue his his thought. If I am to live on in the flesh in my body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose. So he's like, well, I'm not sure. And he says later on in verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh in the body is more necessary for your sake. So he's making this conclusion. He says, yes, Christ can be glorified in my body because if I live, I will do that for the sake of others. Whatever we do in our flesh, we think that we live for ourselves. We think that it's my business, it's my body, and that's what we hear all the time. You know, it's your life, it's all that. But literally, we have influence on people around us okay we have influence on at least those who are in our family or our closest friends, whoever but everybody has influence even if you think that you're not a leader or whatever you have influence your life matters say your life matter for yourself just repeat it because that's important your life matters and what matters also what you do in your body okay so humility in public one of the components, yes, it's our clothes. It's how we wear, the, what kind of clothes we wear. But we should start with this understanding that it's not just how much clothes I wear. It's actually what I think about the clothes. What I think about how I will behave in my body. Because I'm not buying clothes just to warm myself up, you know, I can walk walk in the blanket after all or something, you know, warm. But I don't do that, I I look at certain things, and let's be honest, we'll look at things that are cute, that are fashionable, that something is nice, and if we go on, we can say, you you know, that some people look for the sexy clothes, some people look for something that is not just, you know, cute, but something that affects your image, and influences others. And I did a lot of research, but um, this is interesting. Uh, one person, she writes uh, the following, Jean Kilburn. Uh, she writes that the first thing that advertisers do is surround us with the image of ideal female beauty. And I'll read about female because you'll see how it applies to males too. So that we all learn how important it is for a woman to be beautiful and exactly what it takes. So, We start with sort of like, okay, how to improve your image, right? How to be beautiful. But women learn from a very early age that we must spend enormous amount of time, energy, and above all, money striving to achieve this ideal and feeling ashamed and guilty when we fail. Not only is this ideal the only standard of beauty, it's the ultimate standard of worth. There's difference, you know, what's beautiful and where's my worth? So that women are judged against the standards uh, all the time, whether we choose to, uh, to be or not. And I would add to this that it's not just that message of being beautiful, but uh, how you can be worthy, how can you be valuable in the eyes of people, not necessarily males. but And that's what kind of influence comes from the world. Let's not fool ourselves. If that's the agenda of the world, if that's what's precious in this world, then the clothes designers, advertisers, they know this trick. And they will do everything to make money. They will preach all kinds of lies so that women, ladies, would follow those lies. And if we, we, Christians, we don't pay attention, we don't humble ourselves, we don't put priorities on a modest and humble life, we will get into the same trap. So my humility in the house, when I get rid of the worthless stuff, that's all good. But I don't live just in the house. Let's be honest. We always live more time outside of our house. You will say, well, no, more time in the house. No, with the social media, with all the stuff, we are more open these days. We actually live in the world. You think you close your phone, you put it on the charger. Your posts, your pictures keeps, you know, people keep scrolling and watching and looking at that. So we do have to care about how our humble attitude to the Lord is displayed in the public. And if part of your taste, part of your things, you know, about the clothes aligns with the world and goes against the Bible, you have to stop and think. And maybe look at your, you know, closet and and get rid of the stuff that is not bringing glory to God. My main point is, if we want to have God come to our life and bless our life, we have to do some sacrifice. I know this will not be popular all the time. And um, on the other hand, this is such a witness, you know, like literally some stuff these days, I said this, I'll repeat myself, even, you know, being feminine or masculine in the right to the right degree is a strong message to the world. Because this becomes like really blurry between guys and and girls and the roles, eventually the roles of the husband and the wife. And eventually that brings glory to God. If we stay true and faithful to God's uh, standards, we are showing Christ and the church relationships. Not necessarily even in the marriage. Even our attitude how we behave, what we talk, how we speak to each other, how you guys, how we guys care about uh, ladies, how you respect them. That's all practical stuff. And we cannot achieve that just because I want to be you know, nice and I have to be humble in my heart. It's not easy. You have to die for yourself in certain things. You have to sacrifice certain things in your life. Maybe it's part of your popularity. Maybe it's your favorite stuff. Maybe it's, it's your idol you know better but i want to pray with you that god will keep working in your life because years will pass we will not always be young okay we will not always be beautiful or even we'll get far from the world standard but if we are faithful to god our inner beauty will grow you will be a very very precious person in your family for your husband or for your wife for your children. You will be a blessing for many generations. If you believe that, let's pray with me. So let's stand up.
5: So we wanted to try this new thing. We'll start it next week, Lord willing. We had this idea, or not really my idea. It's not original with me. But we wanted to incorporate some way for us to pray for each other in kind of a more intimate or personal way. So next week, we wanted to introduce something like maybe a box or a bowl. We'll figure that out. But next week, we want there to be... For example, a box where you will write down something that you want someone to pray for on your behalf. If you want to keep it anonymous, don't write your name on it. If you want it to be personal, write down your name. Write down something you want us to pray about. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. And as you leave service, you can go ahead and pick up one or two or three, as many as you want, and you can pray for those needs all week long. And this is something very new. We'll start it next week. Is it going to be a box with a hole in it? Is it going to be a bowl? We'll figure that out. But next time as you're coming in, keep an eye out. It'll probably be on one of these tables. You'll write down your need. You'll write down your name. You'll throw it in there, and you can pick some up on the way out. So that's just something I wanted to announce, something we want to try next week.